love the murmur of conversations happening amongst us the way it should be. It's good to be together. Um, I mentioned earlier that we got uh, Rigby and Sue Wallace with us from Cape Town this morning. And uh, one of the kind of the things that is very, very important to us as a church is that we don't have visiting speakers. We have friends who come and speak. And uh, Rigby and Sue are friends of Gateway. These guys are just a wonderful couple. They lead a family of churches uh, right across Cape Town. And uh, that's not why they're here. They're here because they're wonderful people and encourages and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm hoping this morning that you take from their ministry amongst us. Um, Rigby also helps to lead the family of churches that we belong to, the advanced family of churches, which again has representation all over the globe, really. So it is wonderful to receive these guys and uh, to just recall ourselves to the fact that we're part of something bigger, that God is doing a global work, a cosmic work all across the ages. And actually, these moments are important for us just to remember that as well. So um, can I ask you to give them a massive round of applause? Rigby and Sue, come and join us. Yeah, so before we hand over to you, Rigby, um, I have one question for both of you. I've had the pleasure of getting to know you a bit more this week, and I've learned that you've loved Jesus a long time. You've loved each other well a long time. You, as Richard said, you've grown a church that is serving a city with lots of people worshipping. What's the secret? How have you done that well? Goodness, you can answer that. I don't know, so I'll just uh, kick it off. Rigby can carry on. But they say overnight success takes 20 years. So I think just the, I think Rigby, and he'll often refer to us as, um, what, faithful plodders? Anointed plodders. Anointed plodders. So yeah. anointing is very important. <laughs> but um, gosh, you can answer that question. It's the power of ordinary. The ordinary people who are not overly enamored with themselves always looking to see God in new ways, love Him in new ways, obey Him in new ways. You, I guess we just, we just are still stunned by the mercy of God that He would rescue rebels like us and bind us to His goodness forever. And so we, we want to live out of that uh, with joy, uh, but also through the ups and downs and big challenges that come our way and like what you're going through here in the UK. Uh, Cape Town is the best city in the world, but it's in a nation that's going through all kinds of upheaval and difficulty. And so, uh, yeah, it, it, like you, we're learning to just follow Jesus in, in ways that are uh, context faithful. And uh, yeah, so there's no secret source. The secret source is Jesus and uh, his empowering presence. I love it. Just keep it simple. It's all about Jesus. That's Thank fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah. Great. I'm going to pray for these guys in just a moment. Before we do, though, uh, Hannah's going to come and just bring a prophetic word. And uh, the purpose of the prophetic is to encourage and to build us up. And actually, I want this to build you guys up. But I actually get a sense this morning that as Hannah delivers this word, there's a sense in which we need to step into it and own it. And so, Hannah, can you just come and encourage us in the Lord, please? So... Um... <laughs> We've just been so blessed by the way that you've equipped us and you've taught us and you've energized us. And I just, as I was praying for church this morning and worship, I just had this picture of the Olympic flame and I saw Rigby lighting that flame and, um, and our church just gathering around and seeing this flame. And then the church, the, the, the torch is handed 
to a person from this congregation and it's run through the streets of BCP. It's, it's run through the, the towns and the communities and uh, it's passed on to the next person from this congregation and the next person and communities and families are drawn out onto the street as they witness and they see this flame run through BCP and it lands here in this church, in this building and I just feel this sense of real commission and excitement and boldness and just, oh, I'm so excited to see where God uses us and leads us into the place of BCP. Thank you so much. Let's pray for these guys. Lord, I, I do th so thank you for uh, what they've just declared to be faithful plodding, uh, the power of ordinary, uh, ordinary people like us trusting in an extraordinary Savior. And so, Lord, I do pray now that as, uh, as Riggs comes and teaches your word, there would be something of what Hannah has just prophesied. There would be a sense of the flame being lit amongst us. Lord, I pray that you would just light a flame in all of us that we might go, we might go into BCP, that we might go into the nations, that we might lift you up. Your word says the Son of Man must be lifted up. Lord, may we be the people who hold you up to a dying generation. Lord, I pray that you would draw many to yourself through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Let's give Riggs a massive round of applause. Come to preachers. Well, good, good morning, beautiful people. It's at about this point that I am so tired of my own voice. But I don't think I've felt fuller in terms of wanting to serve you than I feel right now, which means somebody's been praying for me. <laughs> and uh, because I really do... Uh, believe that the Word of God today will encourage us. Uh, whenever I preach messages, I remind myself I'm preaching to myself, and uh, I think God is coming after us this morning. I think He's coming after us in a very unusual way. I think He's coming after us to anchor us, to secure us, to assure us. I mean, the world has never been more broken. Can I have a year? The world is not, I don't sit on the margins of the world, I live in this world and I witness the brokenness and that brokenness isn't only in the world, it also unfortunately casts a shadow over the church from time to time and, and uh, the beauty of the gospel, which means the good news, is the gospel anticipates every moment of the church in history. It's not like God, who never slumbers nor sleeps, has a day when he thinks, oops, the world is in trouble. No, God knew it when Jesus gate-crashed history 2,000 years ago. Uh, he was under no illusion about the state of the world, and that's why he can't be disillusioned with us. He has no illusions about us in the first place. He knows we're broken and we need help. And uh, he didn't send a tract. He didn't send a process. He didn't send a recipe. He didn't send a system. He sent a living being, an incarnation of himself to come and identify with us and live the most perfect life, the most human life available. And he lived it out loud and large in a way that was witnessed and recorded. And we gathered to that person today. That person, if 
I were to ask you the question, who's the wisest person that you know? And you take more than two seconds to say, Jesus Christ, you have not answered the gospel. If I were to say to you, what's the loudest voice in your life? And you would have said to me, WhatsApp and Facebook and all of those things. Then we have not learned that Jesus Christ did not come to be a wallflower at our parties. He came to be Lord. He came to be King. He came to get our attention. He came to infuse us with a new possibility of how to live our lives under His wisdom, under His voice, in a way that raises us into the eternal goodness of God and baptizes us with significance as He calls us into the slipstream of His perfect life and His perfect love. He knows we're not that yet, but being in that slipstream, it's a love that perfects. It's a love that includes. It's a love that takes us in our brokenness. I know it. I know it so well. I know that's the story of my life for 43 years since a girlfriend of mine gave me John's Gospel to read and walking on a train from Durban to Bothers Hill, a small holding my dad had. And Christ came out of the pages. I wasn't in a church. I wasn't in a worship environment. I wasn't being nagged. Christ met me. And uh, I just guess from that moment I've been totally enamored with him to varying degrees. So it's not totally and varied. But in the main, I just, I just feel like there's a moment in history where, where Jesus Christ is coming after his church. He's coming, he wants to claim it back, and he wants to secure us and anchor us, and he wants us to experience the fullness of what he offers us in the work of his son, his death on the cross, in his resurrection power. He wants to restore us to living off the fragrance of an empty tomb. So I just married that girlfriend who gave me John's gospel. And we've been married for 47 years, and we've been teaming together in ministry for 44, and uh, this is one of the best, most lovely, most exciting ministry trips of our lives, and we just said, if we can have the same accommodation, we're coming back. <laughs> okay, I'm just being naughty. <laughs> I've been staying in, in some apartment overlooking, well, it's right down there by the beachfront in Poole, and uh, I want to just say, hurt me one more time, baby. <laughs> okay. When anybody comes into town and they want to endear themselves to their hearers, the last subject they talk about is money. Okay? Anybody want to leave yet? But I want to tell you why I want to talk about it, but I'm not talking about anything about giving. And the talk is not about generosity. I, I honestly feel God wants to push that to the margins of our lives. It's not that it's not important. It's just not what this talk is about. This talk, I've entitled four things that God wants for us in our discipleship. Now, if you can answer this question, let's answer it together. How many of us are spiritual beings? So then there's a spiritual dimension to our discipleship. How many of us are, are, are emotional beings? Well, some of the guys need a little bit of a prod. You're an emotional being. Have an emotion. Okay. And uh, we, we're physical beings, and we're intellectual beings. But when I preached at Elder Road, somebody came after me, the same message, and said, I've never, ever heard a message where we called 
to be economic disciples of Jesus. Or come into the slipstream of his wise economic discipleship. I want, God wants that for us. Because all the other things are resolved when we understand who God is. And so my prayer has been, God, help us to see you in a new way today. Help us to not just see you in a new way. Help us to love what we see in a new way. And help us to obey and serve you in a new way. So, I'm asking you, Lord, to help as we read your word now, as we come under your word now. Won't you anchor us uh, at the same time? Won't you lift us into a new possibility? Won't you free us from the tyrannies and the traps and the cycles of uh, the fault lines in our economy that somehow are easily become stronger than our revelation of who you are. Come and free us, come and feed us, come and nurture us in Christ's name. So we're going to read a passage of Scripture that, uh, that is a wonderful, wonderful passage. And, and if, if we accomplish just one thing today, and that is we walk out of here knowing God in this new way, that we, we, we follow Jesus Christ and His wisdom from this passage, we're going to have a totally new kind of life. At the same time, it's not a recipe for being free from any of the struggles. We all live in this very broken world. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. But He also said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, and we've got to find what's the tension between, so I'm on a, I got off the airplane, the first thing I do most days in my, my reading of newspapers, I, re, I turn to BBC, I love BBC, Not, I don't love everything they're about, I don't like the lib, lib, liberal agendas, but I, I love the sports page, <laughs> okay, sorry, now you know something, I hope it's not, don't categorize me, you know, still a springbok, okay. But uh, I saw normally that they have these banners across the top of the webpage, and it starts with uh, home, and then it used to be war in Ukraine. Then it went along the banner with all kinds of other things. Recently, it's home, and what's the next part on the banner? Cost of living. We've got to listen to what culture says because what they, I mean, I think what they do is feed a lot of anxiety into us with all that stuff they talk about. But then it doesn't help to be an ostrich and put our head in the sand and, and say, we're not economic beings, or we silo off our life into these different compartments. Jesus, Abraham Kuyper, the Dutch prime minister in the 1800s, early 1800s, he was a theologian who became the prime minister of Holland and one of his favorite quotes is, there is no sphere of life that Jesus Christ does not cry out to, it is mine. And if we follow Christ, we will find an integrating power that takes all the parts and sometimes the neglected parts of our lives and brings them into a healthy sense of integrated discipleship. I'm hoping that, that we will we'll fill in some gaps because we don't talk about it. When we do talk about money, it's about building funds and, you know, giving and generosity, and those things are right and good. 
but I think this is better, and I want you to listen up very carefully. So we're going to read. It's a letter that Paul is writing to a young pastor. He's pastoring a church in Ephesus, which is a kind of an economic hub, pretty much like London, not on the same scale, but, uh, you know, pluralistic society, all kinds of options around what is worshipped, and... Uh, but also with huge uh, inequalities and racial tensions and uh, 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 rich versus poor kind of stuff. Uh, so just in case we think, you know, God's saying some stuff that uh, is foreign to our world and we're going back 2,000 years to read this letter, listen up here and see how much of this applies and listen for the four things God might want for us in this passage. Okay, from verse 6 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, we read these words. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And then the next verse he says to Timothy, you as a young pastor, you flee these things. Make sure as a leader in the church, you get this right in your life. And in verse 17, he tells Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they will take hold of the life that is truly life. And that, that uh, verse in 17b, it says, but the... The, the, the rich which we would be in Cape Town, regarded as top 5% in our city, of the economic earners in South Africa, and you down here in the south would be in a similar kind of a thing. It's, 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 it's tell those guys, they need to hear this, that God wants more for them than from them. He's out to anchor us. But how's this for a verse? That they're to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I want to ask you, does this sound like a needy being somewhere in the universe who's like waiting for us to put our hands in our pockets and help him run the universe? No. God is the one who existed before it all. He precedes all of creation. And not only that, after he makes it, he sustains all of creation. And there's nothing that we can add to his being, because his own nature is self-sustaining. He needs nothing from us, and he richly provides for us, or he richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I want to ask you, does this sound like a God who's out to pleasure-proof us? 
Does this sound like a God who, you know, his cupboards are bare? Does this sound like a killjoy kind of a God? No, God is a bountiful giver. And don't hear in that, I'm never going to have any more problems in my life economically. I want you to see that this giver who writes these promises starts by giving himself. Too many of us are like the kid who gets the jam sandwich, wants the jam, and doesn't want to eat the bread. Jesus came as the bread of life. He says, I want you to feast on me. Some of you are laughing because your kids do the same thing. Okay. But what I want to do is strip out of my, our minds a concept. It was born in the, in the, in the sort of Greco-Roman world, this honor-shame kind of a concept. Now, I don't want to get too philosophical. I just... I've got to nail this thing because it is such a tyranny in the way we think. It's this concept of limited goodness. Concept of limited goodness. In the Greco-Roman world, there was only so much honor. And that's why there was such a defined class system because if somebody rose through the ranks, they would be taking somebody else's honor. And there's only so much and so you... You had structures in society that kept people who had all the blessings and the honor. They were the guys who needed to be honored and almost venerated. And all the others needed to occupy their role as, uh, as those who were subservient. The gospel comes and turns that on its head. Because in John chapter 1 and verse 16, it says, For from his fullness... We have all received one blessing after another. From His fullness, we have received grace upon grace. From His fullness, we have received grace replacing grace. Why did the translators get all stuck on this? Because they're trying to feed the notion of it's, a, it's not a static fullness. It's an ever-increasing fullness. It's God saying, I've got you. I know about you. Stop trying to live on yesterday's grace and stop trying to defend the blessings of the past and start to live like you trust my fullness in your life. And so limited goodness plays out economically in the following way. Do you ever remember as a young child, you mommy baked uh, cookies for you in the kitchen. How many of you have any memories of that? Okay, if you have pathologies about not getting cookies, just see Richard and the elders afterwards, they'll pray for you. But here's, here's the point. Mommy would bake these beautiful cookies, put the nice chocolate layer or crunchies, whatever you call them, stuff the jars in the grocery cupboard full of them, and then she would pour out a little bowl of cookies and say, kids, time for tea and cookies. And the kids would all gather. Yeah, some of you can remember those days. But then there was a moment as this one by one the cookies went and the three kids around the table, eventually there was only one cookie left. Folk, this is traumatic. Who was going to get the last cookie? And mom here is screaming in the lounge. Kids are getting angry. And their crisis is born out of the concept of limited goodness. They only see that there's a crisis here in the now, but they are not feeding 
off the generosity of mom. They're not feeding off the faithfulness of mom. They are, in that moment, blind because they're so governed by the experience of limited goodness in a moment, in a season, that they are blind to the fact that the cookie jars are full and that mom is married to the owner of the royal baking mills of the United Kingdom. Now, it is just a story. (laughs) So when we go through difficult times in the economy, we get a sort of limited goodness starts to say the economy is shrinking, which means the pizza, the economy, that needs to feed us all shrinks and we got a smaller pizza, and we got more people coming into our country to eat that, and that births all kinds of sociological stereotyping. Gospel people don't have a picture of the economy the size of pizza. They got a picture of God who, where Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows what you feed. He feeds the birds of the air. Okay, question. How many birds are there in our, on our planet? Have a guess. Now, come up with a number. Come on, man. Billions is just safe. How many human beings have we got? It's like eight to nine billion. I think it just went up by three while we're talking. Okay. <laughs> Okay, call it eight and a half billion people. I don't know what the latest final figure is. Okay. There are 52 billion birds on the planet. And Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows how to look, take care of these birds, and are you not more important than those birds? I have never read a newspaper a headline that says, in the city of London, all the pigeons had just fallen down dead as they sat on... Trafalgar Square. That doesn't happen. Somehow God has a way. He set the universe up. Our problem is we're listening to voices that are announcing a crisis that doesn't exist for those that are under the care of God. Again, don't read. We don't go through tough times. Don't read. Interest rates are not real. Don't read. You're never going to have more month left at the end of your money. You're going to have seasons like that, but the cupboards of God are not bare. And we need to come back to, to, uh, to living in that. Okay, I've spent too much time on the introduction. Notice what Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. How can God be able to make... Isn't there, isn't there limited grace? No, there's unlimited grace. God is able to make all grace abound. Listen to the language. So that you having all sufficiency... At all times, may abound to all good works. I'm not, I'm not, don't go to giving. Go to from His fullness. We all receive one blessing after another. The track record of, of God in your life, when you reflect on it in the ages of ages, is going to be embarrassing. You're going to see how kind He's been. And so from the passage, here are the four things. Number one through the gospel, through what Jesus, what God has done through Christ, God wants to upgrade your personal asset register today. God wants to upgrade your personal asset register today. And Paul is correcting 
the prosperity teaching that was doing the rounds long before the 20th century and the 21st century. There were guys in the church in those times who were supposing that godliness was a means of gain. And he says, from those kind of guys, just withdraw yourself. Don't have anything to do with those guys who want to use the work of Jesus to prosper themselves economically. That's not what's going on here. They're using God to get ahead. His answer to that is not godliness as a means to gain. His answer is, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He turns it on his head. He tells us there's a new currency for riches. If you want to know how rich you are, measure whether godliness and contentment are governing your heart. Whether you are in a season of much or little, he's saying godliness with contentment is great gain, and the Greek word for great gain is mega wealth. You want true riches? Then start to see God like He really is, the God who richly provides us with everything we need in this life. We might have some ups and downs. We might have to trust Him in some tough seasons. There's no insurance policy for that. But on balance, you will see the faithfulness of God in your life in the most amazing, wonderful way. And notice it's not godliness and contentment. It's godliness with contentment. There's a priority there. Is Godliness is not the moral framework. I'm going to be a godly person. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to chew. I'm not going to mix with boys who do. No, no, it's not that kind of moralistic. Godliness is the God-centered life. I see God as He really is, and I'm gobsmacked by His holiness, by His power, by His majesty. Godliness, I've got that focus. And when you get a focus of that kind of God, well, guess what comes? It's godliness with contentment. You're not having panic attacks around everything in your life. You are understanding that His faithfulness, His beauty, His glory vaporizes economic anxiety. Don't, I'm not trying to promise you freedom from every challenge. Don't hear that. But we don't start resolving our economic things by saying, what's my plan? And you may well have to go to the bank and get things sorted out if you're in, in trouble, but don't ignore this plan of a higher, larger view of God. Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content. He's using it in the context of, I've had much and I've had little, and you can get godliness and contentment in those things. And what's the secret? What's the secret? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying, so contentment is not a process and a plan and a recipe. Contentment is the presence of a person in our lives who's assuring us Practicing the presence of Jesus is what he says. Godliness with contentment. My contentment, he says, comes through. I've learned a secret. I'm looking to Jesus all the time. We've got to silence some of the other voices. David said, I've set the Lord always before me in Psalm 16, verse 8. And I love it. He says, I've set the Lord always before me. He said, I've seen the Lord always before me, I've got a high view of God, and that high view of God gives me an ordered life of priority. But then he goes into the next psalm in verse, 17 of, of verse 8 of chapter 17, 
He says, keep me as the apple of your eye and protect me or hide me under the shadow of your wings. You see, David had a God focus, and then in the next psalm, he sees God has a David focus. David's what? God's, and the eye, keep me at the apple of your eye, and the Hebrew is keep me under the pupil. Keep me under the focused gaze of your love. Why am I telling you this? Because some of you seated right here think God does not know about me. Oh, the big stuff like salvation, getting to heaven, oh, yeah, that's the big stuff. Jesus did not come into this world to get you to heaven. Jesus died, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. The feast and the treasure is God. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So big point is you are richer right now than you could ever imagine. If your faith is in Jesus, His presence, you're richer right now than you could ever imagine if you've been justified, if you've been forgiven, if you've been adopted, if you've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Folk, we have got riches that all the money in the world can't buy. What is it about us that we drift to flirt with lesser treasures? We need to embrace what uh, was it Chambers or somebody who's, who spoke about the, the expulsive power of a new affection. We've got to start to see God in a new way. When we see Him, our joy levels will climb, and we will shrink the other stuff. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Jesus are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Edwards, we won't have time to get into it, but he was teaching on Christian happiness, and he said this, you're richer right now than you can imagine. You've you got reason to dance out of here Light up your life like a fireworks display when you know this. Your bad things will turn out for good in the sovereignty of God. Secondly, your good things can never be taken away from you. And thirdly, the best things are yet to come. I guess that's pretty anchoring. And I, I'm just surprised that I've only got a sort of a nod or two. You should be saying, yeah! Okay, we South Africans are a little bit like loud. Just have mercy on me. I'm much better at a, at a sports event. Secondly, God wants to protect us from being trapped in the wrong cycles. We'll move it along. And in this passage, he's coming after us like a loving parent. He says, I want to, I want to protect you from this. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and are trapped into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered. They go and walk about and piss themselves with many griefs. I want to say to you, when economies, countries, nations, the world goes through economic shakeups, we're probably more vulnerable as we experience some of the fallout of it than we could ever imagine. Now, Paul is speaking to us today and saying, take the warning of a loving parent. He wants something for us. He wants to protect us. It's not like if you stop giving the church is going to fall apart because you can look after the church and the building projects and you guys have been amazing in terms of the stuff that you give yourself to. No, he wants you to, to be anchored. He wants you to, he wants to be your true treasure. And so the warnings are you cannot keep what you gain. Anything you've accumulated in this life, you're leaving here. You came naked into the world, you go naked out of it but more wrinkled. And you've never, ever seen a hearse with a trailer. You take nothing with you 
and you'll be rejoicing in the ages and ages in your true riches. Ephesians says, so that in the ages to come, he will show you the incomparable riches of his kindness toward us in Christ. So whatever we've got now is just the hors d'oeuvre. God wants to upgrade our acid register, but he also wants to warn us when times are tough that we go out and we try and fix everything. We've got to maintain this high view of God. And another warning is you will encounter powerful temptations. People who want to get rich fall into the traps. Number three, you can wander from the faith, and it's more than just the doctrinal statement of what Christianity represents. You can wander from the faith community. You can wander because you get so, uh, uh, what's the word, um, uh, inward-looking, and you lose the riches of community. And then he says, and you will, and some will experience great Sorrow. Some people eager for money have pierced themselves with many griefs. Tim Keller says, if you set your heart on money, money will break your heart. I have a farmer friend of mine who lost over 20 fruit farms about five years ago and went into a stripping by God of everything. He's one of the richest people I've ever met in my life. In February this year, he sat on my patio. I did not think it was the same person. He's been so transformed as God stripped him and gospel treasure moved into his life and calibrated his, his life and his disciplines in a way. He was able to save one farm and his son has it and his son, his son has put him on a stipend. He still manages to travel South America, goes on hikes in Spain, the what do you call it, Pyrenees, goes on those hikes. But he's a guy who just talks to people all the time about Jesus. He's found the treasure, and he's found a new way to live. I looked at him. I said to Sue afterwards, I said, love, I think I've just seen the most radical work of gospel transformation, and it results in this guy. He got freed from all these traps. He found true treasure. Number three, God wants to coach us toward joy-filled economic maturity. So when it comes to discipleship, how many of you know you can be emotionally secure, uh, mature, spiritually mature, but you can be, in other areas of your life, immature? And the goal of translocal ministry and guys helping churches get strengthened up is to bring them to maturity. This is a talk that's out to say, I want to bring you to maturity. Now look at the language. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. See, that's what happens. The rich get a get a perspective on themselves. Their identity get conf gets confused. They, they confuse their net worth with their actual worth, and if they lose their net worth, they throw tantrums all the time. That's immature. And Paul is saying, command those guys not to be arrogant, prideful, and put their hope in God. So what's the vision of maturity? He says to put their hope in God with the faith to richly Receive what God has for us in this season. And sometimes God doesn't give us what our tantrums demand. He gives us what we actually need. How many of you know your kids, parenting kids, there's a great difference between a kid coming and saying, Dad, I need a new iPhone. And Dad, I need a phone. You see, the pressure on us to come up with all of this thing, get into debts, more contracts and all of that. I know it doesn't happen here, just in South Africa. Okay. There's an immaturity around not being able to discern actual need 
from perceived need, felt need, or tantrum need. No, God wants to recalibrate our needs, and, and He wants to assure us that He's got us. And He richly provides. And He's calling us to, instead of being arrogant, hoping in wealth, to be humble and hoping in His goodness, the God who's able to make all grace abound to us. The one who feeds over 52 billion birds. It just went up to 53. Okay, that one. The big point is right now, on a continuum of arrogant and hoping in wealth, to humble and hoping in God. You've got to put yourself there. You've got to say, where am I in this journey? And if you're bouncing between the two all the time, you're immature. If you're growing step by step from one degree of glory to the next toward economic maturity, following Jesus in hard times is not bad for us. Builds our trust and our confidence in God. So the big point is right now we're being transformed, not just to be more like Jesus generally, but we're being transformed to steward resources in gracious and kind and wonderful ways to reflect the nature of God. The, oper the, the operating system of the universe is grace 1.0. And God wants to introduce it. It's had no upgrades. It's need no, they don't need a 2.0 or 2.3578 or whatever. It's just grace 1.0. When, we when we're in the slipstream of Jesus, there's this wonderful sense of I start to, the God you know is the God you show. You begin to live it out. People experience, wow. There's a lot of that in play in this church, and so I bless and commend you for that. But I'm talking to everybody. I want to call us into the slipstream of following Jesus in this way. Fourth point, final point. My dear, I've done well, Richard. Okay, don't overrate it. I'm just looking at, it's a bit of a longer talk because I'm getting on a plane this afternoon and you, you might not ever, ever see me again. <laughs> I want to come back. God wants four things to us. Give it to me. Number one, he wants to upgrade our personal asset register. Number two, and number three, number four, God wants to secure the best possible, possible returns for us by investing offshore. Huh. Rigby, where do you find that in the verse? I'm so glad that you see it. Command them, the rich, right now, to do good. To be rich in good deeds. Start evidencing this new nature. Start, don't do the right things. Become the kind of person for whom doing the right things is more and more automatic. That's discipleship. It's not moralism. It's being so God-centered, the rock of ages, I become a chip off the old block. I begin to express His nature. So he says, command them. We're not earning. This is not earning anything. This is evidencing our maturity. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and to be willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure. What are the next two words? Shout it out. Oh, Rigby, you're just bringing a new brand of the prosperity teaching, you know, you're trying to get us to part with copious amounts of cash and all that. No, 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 no. Trivial, silly stuff. God doesn't need your money. God 
wants to mature us so that we're evidencing grace, maturity 1.0. And he says this, I want, to, I, want, I want you to do these things so that you lay up treasure for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age that tells us everything we're doing in this life connects to what's waiting for us on the other side so that now, in this present life, you may take hold of the life that is truly life. If we're not living like we've been, uh, like Paul's been, uh, you know, addressing Timothy, and like I'm trying to explain, if we don't get this, we do not get the life that is truly life, we get something else. Instead of being a voice of truth to the culture, we become an echo of our culture to the church. God wants to bring us into a new spiritual reality Jesus put it like this, don't lay up treasure for yourself. Paul got it from Jesus. She didn't get it from Paul. Jesus don't lay up treasure for yourselves on earth where moth and rust corrupt and breaks, thieves break in and steal, but lay up treasure for yourselves in heaven. Paul writing to the Philippians, he says, because they're giving to him, they, they're helping him on his apostolic, in his apostolic ministry and some of his travel and being very kind to him. He says, guys, thank you. I'm not looking for anything from you. I've, I know how to have those rhythms of plenty and, and, and some struggles. But I want to say this, what I want for you, and I'm saying that to you, what I want for you, Gateway 502, is that whatever you are doing out of a new transformed nature as you become economic disciples and are growing in maturity, that it will credit to your account in the ages of ages because there's not a single check, a single EFT, a single act of kindness. So it's not just about money. It's about also the hospitality of students who need places to stay. And we start to say, open our hearts to that. You cannot do that and not have an unbelievable reward in the age of ages. Every note you give out of your the way we think, limited goodness, oh, it's no longer mine, it's somebody else's. Oh no, it never stops being yours. It's just deposited in a different account. It's supernatural. God is so loving and kind who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Well, I've got so much more. My heart is really full, but I'm going to call it just want us to know, we're going to, Richard's going to lead us to communion, and that's what tells us how precious we are to Him. You see, folk, it's not just about making God our treasure through these emblems. He's made us His treasure, His treasured possession. We bought with the blood of Jesus that we sang about earlier. But uh, how many of you are up for a prayer? Can I pray, pray for us? Can you open your hearts wide to the Lord and and we want to get in that slipstream of Jesus. We want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. Lord, I want to thank you for the incredible privilege of serving this community today. I want you to ask you, Lord, in your goodness to just rub out all the stuff that is not from you. But everything that is from you, won't you weigh it on our, on our lives, on our minds, on our hearts for good? Lord, thank you for those amazing promises that we've been exposed to today and your amazing care. Thank you for that verse in Hebrews 13 that says, keep yourselves free from the love of money, for it is written, never will I leave you 
nor forsake you. Lord, it's impossible to keep ourselves free from the love of money in a, in a world that is all about money unless, unless we believe what's written and we embrace your presence in a new way. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Won't you make yourself more real to us? Won't you forgive us when we've surrendered our affections to lesser stuff? Won't you do a transforming work in our hearts for our friends among us who are still exploring faith? Pray that this talk would be a, a surprise, a picture into a good, good God who wants more for us than from us. Would you make that more real to our hearts as we continue to worship you today? In Christ's name, amen.